Sairam, dear listeners, and a warm good evening from Radio Sai Studios. This is Prem, your friend from Team Radio Sai, welcoming you to this week's episode of the Gita series, A Triune Pilgrimage. The last week there was a curtain raiser, and today we are going to begin the series in the real sense. But what a beautiful coincidence it is! When I decided to start the series, I thought I should start it as close to the Krishna Janmashtami as possible, but. I didn't realize that we would be actually beginning the entire series with the first shloka on Ganesh Chaturthi, and that's special in two ways. First of all, as we started last week with the invocation to Ganesha, anything is more auspicious when it begins with a worship to Ganesha. So it is wonderful that we are beginning this entire series on Ganesh Chaturthi. And the other beautiful thing is that this entire epic of Mahabharata, in which the Bhagavad Gita is a part. was actually written by lord ganesha as we know from the story of how the mahabharata was written by vedavyasa the person who volunteered to write the mahabharata as vedavyasa would narrate it was lord ganesha and we know that beautiful story where at a point vedavyasa is so lost in his poetic rendition that he doesn't realize that he is going very very fast and in the process the pen with which lord ganesha is noting down this entire epic breaks but vedavyasa is lost in a reverie and ganesha does not have the heart to stop him so he breaks one of his tasks and starts writing and that's why we always have this picture of lord ganesha with one task broken so it is indeed a very very beautiful coincidence that we are going to begin the study of the bhagavad gita on the ganesh chaturthi day So let us begin by offering our most loving pranams at Bhagwan's lotus feet, and probably it's his way of showing that he is blessing us in this journey. Well, the Bhagavad Gita, as we had gone through last week, is essentially a dialogue between Lord Krishna and Arjuna, who is considered his friend and his disciple. But the entire Bhagavad Gita itself starts with two other characters, Dhritarashtra and Sanjaya. So a little bit of background of what is this dialogue between Dhritarashtra and Sanjaya is probably necessary before we begin because the first few shlokas are a dialogue direct dialogue between King Dhritarashtra and Sanjaya and later also you would find now and then Sanjaya's name being mentioned so it is important to understand the context of this entire dialogue the Bhagavad Gita as such appears in the Bhishma Parva of Mahabharata Mahabharata of course has many many books and the story itself is written in that form so this particular book the book of bhishma or what is referred to as bhishma parva is what contains the bhagavad gita text in the beginning of this particular book of the mahabharata it starts off with the story where the pandava army and the kaurava forces come together the war has been declared so they come together in the presence of sage vedavyasa who is supposed to be not only the ancestor of the pandavas and the kauravas but also something like the kulaguru of the entire clan so in his presence they meet so that they can draw the rules of the war as it is going to take place what can be done what should not be done so that's how the bhishma parva starts but after having done that particular task vedavyasa approaches king dhritarashtra the father of the kauravas one last time and appeals for peace he says that this is going to do no good to your clan this is only going to result in mammoth destruction so he appeals that dhritarashtra should call for peace give pandavas what is rightfully theirs and call for truce but at this point dhritarashtra says that it is beyond me now my children will not listen to me duryodhana and his brothers are not going to be obedient to me anymore so there is no way i can bring truce at this point in time So at this juncture, what uh, Vedavyasa does is he offers to King Dhritarashtra a divya drishti or a divine sight, by which the king, even though he is not in the battlefield, he is going to be in Hastinapura, will be able to see the happenings at, at the battlefield, sitting in his apartments, right? But immediately, King Dhritarashtra refuses this offer because he says, "I do not wish to see the destruction of." my family and my friends right that is what he says appearing to be very liberal in the sense that he says that all of them belong to me and i mean i don't want to see them dying i've not seen them growing up i've not seen them learning their skills so in no way i want to see them perish 
So what Vedavyasa does is he offers this Divya Drashti to this other personality called Sanjaya. Now who is this Sanjaya? Sanjaya is, his entire name is Sanjaya Gavalgani. He's actually a charioteer. He's supposed to be one of the charioteers of Dhridrashtra and also advisor of Dhridrashtra because he's a very, very wise person, pretty similar to the character of the minister of the Kauruba race, right? So he is not only the charioteer of Dhridrashtra, but he is also the disciple of Vedavyasa himself. So he's a very, very wise person. But at the same time, he is very devoted to Dhridrashtra. So he does not leave him in spite of seeing all of the mistakes that the king does. But he does not hesitate to tell the king that what he has done is wrong. And that is why he's a very, very straightforward person. And uh, Dhridrashtra also trusts his wisdom a lot. So Vedavyasa gives this Divya Drishti or this ability to see what is happening in the battlefield to this Sanjaya, the charioteer of Dhridrashtra. And that is how the entire war is going to be narrated by Sanjaya to Dhridrashtra. So eventually the war begins and there are some versions which say, I'm not sure of this, that Sanjaya actually becomes the charioteer of Bhishma as the war begins. So the war begins, the first day goes by, the second day goes by, not three or four, but ten days go by. And on the tenth day, Bhishma falls on the bed of arrows. That is, he is attacked by Arjuna. So when Bhishma falls, Sanjaya comes running to Dhridrashtra and gives him the news of the fall of Bhishma because they rallied much behind Bhishma because Bhishma was this great warrior. He could never be defeated in battle. And apart from all of that, he had what was referred to as Icha Mrityu, a boon given to him by his father Shantanu that he cannot die unless and until he decides that that is the moment to die. But he is now has been defeated in a duel with Arjuna in a manner that he cannot participate in the war anymore. He is not dead, but he has fallen this bed of arrows and he will not be able to participate in the war anymore. And that literally is a fatal blow to the Kaurava army. And it is at this point that Sanjaya comes back to Dhridrashtra and tells him that this is what has happened. And after the 10th day, King Dhridrashtra asks Sanjaya to narrate to him what had happened in the battlefield from the beginning of the battle, from the first day. And that is where the Bhagavad Gita actually begins. So the Bhagavad Gita begins in the 25th chapter of the Bhishma Parva. In fact, before that, after Vedavyasa gives Divya Drishti to Sanjaya, the entire book of Bhishma Parva, that is the, the first few chapters, is all about Sanjaya giving descriptions of far-off lands that now he is able to see because of this blessing of this divine sight. And Dhridrashtra comes to know of the expanse of the Bharatvarsha or the kingdom that is ruled by the Kuru race and also the allied forces, the allied kingdoms, the kingdoms that are far away a description of them, how they are ruled, the people there, their nature, and all of this is given in the Bhishma Parva. But it's only in the 25th chapter of the Bhishma Parva, actually the Bhagavad Gita starts. So that is where our Bhagavad Gita is also going to start. That is where we're going to be beginning with the listening to each of the shlokas. And I will be giving a short description of the meaning. And if there is anything that we need to focus deeply on, that is what we will be concentrating on. So I'm going to play for you the shlokas. Sometimes it is going to be just one shloka, but sometimes it will be a couple of shlokas together because it is not complete as one shloka. Sometimes the sentence itself carries over to a second or a third shloka. So we will be grouping the shlokas in such a manner that it is complete in meaning in that sense. So we'll begin with the first shloka, which is a very, very important shloka in itself. There's much learning in that. I'd like to tell you that the shlokas are going to be rendered by Brother Sham Sundar. Sham Sundar is not new to the audience of Radio Sai. He is an alumnus of our university. He is a very, very good Vedam tutor. That is why he is part of the Vedam tutor program on many occasions. He used to be a Vedam teacher in the university. Now he is a Vedam teacher to Balveka's children and youth in the Satisai organization in Tamil Nadu. I also would like to thank Brother Sai Vignesh, another Sai youth from Chennai, who is uh, in whose studio this was recorded, and Brother Raghav, another very active Sai youth, also a product of Air Rahman's KM Conservatory. He's been the sound engineer for all these recordings. And of course, I took the help 
of our senior sound engineer brother Sunil. So I'm going to play for you the first shloka in the Bhagavad Gita and with this we officially begin the Gita series. Dharmakshetre Kurukshetre Samavetayu Yutsavaha Mamakaf Pandavaschaiva Kimakurvata Sanjaya So that is the first shloka and I'm sure many of you will be familiar with that. One point that I'd like to make is that we began the shloka with Dharmakshetra, the word Dharmakshetra. But traditionally, the Bhagavad Gita begins with the word Dhritarashtra Uvacha because these are the words that were spoken by King Dhritarashtra to Sanjaya. The reason why we started with Dharmakshetra instead of Dhritarashtra Uvacha is because Swami always says that the first word of Bhagavad Gita is Dharma. So I thought it's appropriate to begin the shloka with Dharmakshetra. But there is also a traditional value behind why it starts with Dhritarashtra Uvacha. It is believed that whenever you begin a scripture, whenever you begin holy text, it has to start with a prayer. And that's why if you see in many of our Puranas and many of the Shtotrams and Shlokas and Itihasas and uh, works such as that, there will always be an invocatory prayer in the beginning. Of course, the Bhagavad Gita is not an entirely standalone text. It is part of the Mahabharata. The Mahabharata itself, what is referred to as the text Vijaya, which was written by Veda Vyasa, begins with extensive invocations. But they believe that Bhagavad Gita is a text in its own right. So that should also have invocation in the beginning. So some people believe that the name Dhritarashtra itself is a form of an invocation. Because what is the meaning of this word Dhritarashtra? Dhritam means to sustain. Rashtram means the realm or a country or the entire world. That's why it says Dhritam Rashtram Yena is Dhritarashtra. The one by whom the entire world is sustained. So when the Bhagavad Gita begins with Dhritarashtra Uvacha, that name Dhritarashtra itself becomes like an invocation to God. Henceforth, the shloka goes, it says Dharmakshetre Kurukshetre. Now what is the significance of this Kurukshetra? Kurukshetra is of course the battlefield where this entire war is being fought. So he is asking the meaning of that entire shloka is in one sentence if I have to say that Dhritarashtra asks what did my people and the sons of Pandu do when they had assembled together, eager for battle on the holy plain of Kurukshetra. So this was the question that Dhritarashtra begins his conversation with. Now this Kurukshetra, as I said, is the battlefield where this entire war is happening. The name for this battlefield comes from King Kuru. King Kuru is a very righteous king. He's actually 15 generations before the Pandavas and the Kauravas. In fact, the word Kauravas also partially comes from King Kuru. Now, this King Kuru is recorded as one of the very, very righteous kings of his times. He establishes Dharma wherever he rules. And one of the things that he does is in this particular place, Kurukshetra, it's actually even now the town of Kurukshetra is there in India. It's in the state of Haryana. It's I think about 150, 160 kilometers away from the capital of India, Delhi. At this place, King Kuru, it is said that he ploughed the field himself to feed his citizens. He himself participated in the act of agriculture so that he can feed his citizens. And that was how sincere he was as a king. So seeing his righteousness, seeing his sincerity as a king, it is believed that Lord Vishnu blesses him by saying that this particular land that he has ploughed, that he has invested his energy and time in, will be referred to as Kurukshetra after him. And because he has made this the centre of his dharmic actions, it shall also be called Dharmakshetra. And Lord Vishnu also blesses him, saying that in the future generations, this particular land will become a battlefield. And the blessing that Lord Vishnu gives is, whoever dies in this particular battlefield during a battle will go to heaven. 
that is the blessing that is given in reward to King Kuru and his tremendous efforts in taking care of his kingdom. Of course, the idea of heaven is very different when it comes to the Sanatan Dharma. It is not about heaven that you stay in eternity. Heaven, as Swami has explained many, many times, is a loka or a realm in which you spend a limited period of time given the number of good karmas that you've done, after which you're supposed to come back and take another body and continue with this journey of life till the point where you've completely got rid of your desires and you merge in divinity. So Lord Vishnu gives that boon that whoever participates in a battle in the battlefield of Kurukshetra and who dies in the process will be given a place in heaven, right? And that is why I think later in the Mahabharata, you see that all these warriors, even the warriors of the Kaurava side who die in the battle are actually found in heaven later when Yudhishthira goes there. Now, when we talk about this, Dharmakshetra, there is another important thing that Swami speaks of which we need to give a little bit of time to understand. What does this Dharmakshetra represent? I think that is something which we will come to but before that, we'll spend a little time on the word which Dhritarashtra uses to refer to the Kauravas. He very, very clearly says Mamakha Pandavas Chaiva. He says, what are my people and the Pandavas doing. Now, this is where the hypocrisy of King Dhritarashtra is very obvious because when Vedavyasa offers him the Divya Drishti, he says, I do not want it because, you know, all of them belong to me and I don't want to see my friends and family perish. But when it comes to knowing what is happening in the battlefield, he's very clear. He says, what did my people and what did the Pandavas do? And he distances the Pandavas from himself and he says that these are mine and they are not mine, right? So Swami uses these traits of the Trashtra to explain what is the Mahabharata and what is the Dharmakshetra which is being referred to here. And this very, very beautiful explanation is given in Swami's Sandeha Nivarani and I thought we should spend a little time on that. Swami explains that this entire kingdom has its capital in the city of Hastinapura. And that is where Dhritarashtra is sitting and he is asking about the battle. And Swami explains there, Hastinapura actually means Astinapura, the land of bones. And which is the land of bones? The human body is the land of bones. So Swami says the Hastinapura is actually the human body. And when Hastinapura is the body, what is Dharmakshetra? Swami says Dharmakshetra is nothing but the heart the heart where you sow righteous actions and reap the benefits. That is the Dharmakshetra. And Swami says, in this heart, there is an eternal conflict that is happening. And this is a battle for sovereignty. Who will rule this life lived by the body? And this battle happens in every human heart. And heart is not the physical heart, as Swami would very, very often explain. It is the spiritual heart or the Hridaya, right? And Swami says that there is this battle of sovereignty that is happening in every human heart, the Dharmakshetra. And who are the battling forces? Who is the battle being fought between? Swami explains that in each individual, there is a wise personality and there is an unwise personality. The wise personality is represented by King Pandu and the unwise personality is represented by the blind King Dhritarashtra. And what is it that is blinding this king, Dhrudrashtra? Swami explains, that is what is mentioned in the first shloka. When he says, Mamaka, he says, my people. He is being blinded by this Mamakaram or the feeling of mine and thine, which Swami would refer to so often in his discourses. So he is blinded by this Mamakaram. We all have Mamakaram. We all have this feeling that this is my family, this is my work. This is my friend, this is my wife, my husband, my children. It is not completely wrong in that sense to have that mamakaram. Of course, in the true spiritual sense, one has to completely give up mamakaram. But it is not always wrong to have that mamakaram in that sense. But in this case, the Rashtra is blinded by that mamakaram so much so that he is not able to differentiate between what is right and wrong. And that is where the problem begins. 
So born out of that blindness of Mamakaram, this unwise person who is blinded by Mamakaram, he gives birth to these hundreds of Kauravas who represent the bad impulses and thoughts. And that is what the Kauravas, Duryodhana and his brothers represent. And born out of this wise person are these five human values which Swami refers to as Satya, Dharma, Shanti, Prema and Ahimsa. And these five human values are represented by the Pancha Pandavas or the five Pandava brothers. And God who is in the heart in the form of the Atman, Swami says, He refuses to take arms just like Lord Krishna refuses to take arms in the battle. I think we all know that story. We have heard it so many times from Swami. It has almost been decided that there is going to be a battle. The Pandavas and the Kauravas go around trying to rally for allies, right? That is how this battle is fought. Where Duryodhana, using his treachery, using his smartness, he gathers a lot of people. Eventually, they come to Lord Krishna because Krishna represents the Yadava forces and each one wants the Yadava forces in their side or at least that is how Duryodhana sees it. He feels that even the Pandavas would want the Yadava forces, what is referred to as the Narayani Sena on their side and Duryodhana feels that having them on his side would give him tremendous advantage and that is how Arjuna is a representative of Pandavas and Duryodhana from the Kaurava side approach Lord Krishna and Swami beautifully explains how Duryodhana actually goes to Krishna's chambers first, but being arrogant as he is, he sits at the side of Krishna's head. You know, Krishna is lying down on his bed. Duryodhana thinks that I am a king, so he goes and sits at the head of the bed. Arjuna who comes, who sees that Krishna is sleeping, he does not want to disturb him. He very, very gently sits at the uh, side where Krishna has placed his feet. And Swami says when Krishna gets up, he looks at Arjuna first because he is sitting in front of him. And Krishna says, Oh Partha, have you come here seeking something? What do you want? And that is when Duryodhana says that, No, no, I have come here before, so I should be given the opportunity to place my prayer first in front of you. But then Krishna says, Look, I saw Arjuna first. So for me, Arjuna is the one who has come here first. And apart from that, Arjuna is younger to you, so it is but appropriate that he be given this opportunity. And at that point, Arjuna says that, You know, we have come here to seek your support for the battle. And then Krishna makes this offer. He says, look, there is me on one side and there is the Narayani Sena on one side. I have decided that I will not take up any arms during the battle. So I am on one side, I am the unarmed Krishna and on the other side is the Narayani Sena which I have actually developed. And they are a very, very formidable force at that point in time. The Mahabharata describes how they win many, many battles and it's completely a force which has been made brought together by Krishna and few of his friends. So this is the offer Krishna offers and Arjuna has has absolutely no dilemma there because his choice is very, very simple. And he says, Lord Krishna, definitely I'm going to choose you only. And Duryodhana sitting behind is elated by the choice that Arjuna has made because he came only for the Narayani Sena. So he comes and he is very, very happy. But he pretends as though because Arjuna has made the choice, he's left with nothing but to take the Narayani Sena. So that is how it is decided. And Swami explains that in the battle, when Krishna says, I will not take up arms, I will be here. I am here to give my advice. I am here to give my counsel, but I will not pick up arms. Swami explains that in each one of us, the Lord resides in the form of the Atma and he does not take sides. He does not pick up arms, but he always keeps giving the right direction in the form of the voice of the conscience. And Swami says, similarly, in this battle between the forces of bad impulses born out of attachment and mamakaram and ahankaram and these positive impulses of the human values, the Lord does not take sides, but He always gives advice. But it is the wise person who takes or heeds to the advice of the Lord. And that is how the Pandavas actually win over Lord Krishna. And that is why Krishna says in many, many occasions, during the Mahabharata, he says that I will always side by the Pandavas because where Dharma is, there alone Krishna will be. So this is how the inner battle, as Swami explains, happens, right? So the question comes, when will this battle end? When will this inner battle end? We know how the Mahabharata ends, but the question comes, when will the battle of Mahabharata, which happens within each one of us, end? 
and Swami explains in Sandeva Nevarni so beautifully. He says, first, the good will have to establish victory over evil. That is the first step of the battle. But in the end, even the good has to leave or the good also has to get sublimated. And the individual is left attributeless, gunatita. And that is when the Mahabharata truly ends. And that is why we see that even though the Mahabharata battle happens and the Kauravas are decimated and all those who sided by the Kauravas are killed, in the end, the Pandavas also had to die. It is not like they ruled for a very, very long time. Eventually, they also fade away. And that's why Swami explains that in this battle that happens within us, the noble feelings should win over the bad feelings and the wrong impulses that are there. But eventually, the good and the bad melt away leaving this attributeless self. So then Swami raises another question, can this battle be avoided completely? Why, why go through this whole process? Why have this battle in, in us, the fight happening and the din of war happening all through our life? Can this be avoided? Swami says, yes, this can be avoided. When the illusion of mind or the mamakaram is removed, there will be no need for the battle because the moment the mamakaram is removed, the Kaurava forces automatically get decimated because they're all born out of this Mamakaram. So Swami says that is why in the spiritual process, we undergo this inquiry, the process of inquiry and repeat to ourselves that nobody belongs to us. It is all temporary associations that we have, that we claim that this person belongs to me, this person is related to me. Through inquiry, when we slowly reduce that Mamakaram, Swami says, the need for that battle itself can be taken away. So this is the inner significance of the Kurukshetra battle itself. And this has to be kept in mind even as we go through the Bhagavad Gita because there is one more reason to this. As I said, the Mamakaram of Dhridrashtra is probably the basis for the entire Mahabharata war and the Mahabharata that happens within us. But it is the same Mamakaram or the same idea of attachment which is the root cause for the Bhagavad Gita itself. Because just like Dhridrashtra expressed his Mamakaram, very shortly Arjuna is going to express his Mamakaram because he's going to say, these are all my people, how can I kill them? Right. So Arjuna is also going to raise questions based on that same Mamakaram. But we will see that how Arjuna raises the question, but he is ready to heed to the advice given by Lord Krishna. And that is where all the difference lies. So this is the first shloka of the Bhagavad Gita. It's a very, very important shloka. It sets the tone for the rest of the shlokas. And as Swami would say, the very fact that this entire spiritual text begins with the word dharma is a suggestion that the Bhagavad Gita is about the fact that one must do one's dharma. And that is why this particular shloka is very, very important. Dharma Kshetri Kurukshetri. It is a battle that happens in the Dharmakshetra, which is there within each one of us in our hearts. So we'll proceed to the second shloka in the Bhagavad Gita. And the first one is a question that Dhridrashtra has asked Sanjaya. So the second one is actually a reply that Sanjaya is giving. Now I'm going to play the second and the third shloka because as I explained, Sanjaya's sentence is not complete with the second shloka alone. So we listen to the second and the third shloka of the first chapter of the Bhagavad Gita. Sanjaya Uvacha Drishtvatu Pandavanikam Vyudham Duryodhanastada Acharyamupasangamya Raja Vachanamabravit Pashyaitam Panduputranam Acharya Mahatinchamum Vyudham Drupada Putrena Tavashishena Dhimata So that is the second and the third shloka of the Bhagavad Gita. I will read out the meanings for both of them and then we will dwell a little deeper on the essence of the shlokas. The second shloka goes, Sanjaya replied, Having seen the army of the Pandavas drawn up in battle array, King Duryodhana, 
then approached his teacher, who's Dronacharya, and spoke these words. The third shloka means, Behold, O teacher, this mighty army of the sons of Pandu, arrayed by the son of Drupada, your wise disciple. So this is the second and the third shloka, the reply that Sanjaya gives. As I explained, this is all flashback because Dudrashtra is asking what happened in the first day, what happened before the battle began. So Sanjaya replies that Duryodhana, the first thing that he does is he goes to Dronacharya, who is the teacher of not only the Kauravas, not only Duryodhana and his brothers, but also the Pandavas. He is the teacher for all of them. So he approaches Dronacharya and starts speaking these words. He says, this is the mighty army of the Pandus. They are in a formation right in front of us and they are being marshaled or being commanded. The commander-in-chief for the army is the son of Drupada, who is Drishtadhyumna. It's interesting that Duryodhana chooses to go to Dronacharya and begin this explanation to just probably give you a sneak preview into what is going to come in the next few shlokas. In the next few shlokas, Duryodhana actually gives a summary of who all have assembled to take part in the battlefield. He explains who all are there in the Pandava side, he explains who all are there in the Kaurava side and the next few shloka is about how he describes the entire scene and that is how Dhrashtra gets a description of who are all the people or who have assembled on either side. The reason why he goes to Dronacharya is interesting is the commander-in-chief of Duryodhana's army is actually Bhishmacharya, right? Bhishma Pitamaha or Bhishma, who is the grandsire of the entire race. He's the commander-in-chief, but he goes to Dronacharya. The reason why he goes to Dronacharya is he knows pretty well that all of Dronacharya's favorite disciples are on the other side. Arjuna and his brothers, they are his favorite disciples and he knows that he does have a soft spot for all of them. Looking at it from Duryodhana's point of view or from his mentality, now he has given Bhishma the post of the commander-in-chief and he pretty much knows that Bhishma is a very, very strong adherent to Dharma. He will play his role to the best of his abilities. You don't have to doubt his abilities at all. But he is not as sure about Dronacharya because Dronacharya is somebody we know from the story in the Mahabharata when he is insulted by Drupada. Drupada is supposed to be the father of Draupadi. He is a very good friend of Dronacharya. But it's a long story where they fall apart and King Drupada ends up insulting Dronacharya and that's how Dronacharya comes to the Hastinapura and becomes a teacher and then he takes revenge with the help of Arjuna. So he knows that Dronacharya is not as balanced a personality as Bhishma. He needs to be mollified. He needs to be given respect every now and then so that his loyalty is ensured. So he goes to Dronacharya and starts speaking to him and says that, look at the array of people who have assembled. And the other reason why he's speaking to Dronacharya is the commander-in-chief, Drishtadumna, the son of his friend King Drupada, is also a student of Dronacharya. The story goes that after Dronacharya takes revenge, King Drupada is very, very hurt. So he does a yagna with the idea that he wants to beget a son who will take revenge on his behalf against Dronacharya. And that's how Drishtadumna is born and that's how Draupadi is also born. And later, of course, they patch up in that sense. They do not have their enmity anymore. And thereafter, Drishtadumna is sent to Drona and Drona teaches him the art of warfare. And today, the same disciple is standing in front of him, ready to fight. So Duryodhana is literally trying to taunt Drona by saying that, look, you taught all of these people and they're all in front of you. So here is a time for you to show your loyalty to the crown, show that you can defeat them. And he also says that, you know, he refers to the formation that is being made. He's saying that they're all formed in an array. As we go through, the numbers of the Pandava army is far lesser than the numbers of the Kaurava army. So that is why the Mahabharata explains that the Pandavas choose to form a formation called the Vajra. And usually that is a formation that is taken when the opposing army has a larger number than your own army. 
So this, again, this formation of the Vajra is also a technique which has been taught by Dronacharya. So Duryodhana in that sense is coming and taunting Drona that look at the army in front of you. They're all great warriors. The commander-in-chief is your disciple and they are ready to attack. So that is the meaning of the second and the third verse of the Bhagavad Gita. Now we'll go to the fourth and the fifth verse, which again is a continuation of Duryodhana's dialogue. So again, it's interesting to note that it starts with Dhridrashtra Uvacha, it says Sanjay Uvacha. But when Duryodhana is speaking, it does not say Duryodhana Uvacha. It just continues with the dialogue. So these are again the dialogues of Duryodhana to Dronacharya. Atrashura Maheshvasa Bhimarjuna Samayudhi Yuyudhano Viratascha Drupadascha Maharathaha Drishtaketuschekitanaha Kashi Rajascha Viryavan Purujit Kunti Bhojascha Shaibhyascha Narapungavaha So in these two shlokas, the fourth and the fifth shloka of the Bhagavad Gita, Duryodhana actually names all the warriors on the side of the Pandava army. And the meaning of those two shlokas are, I will read them out and then we'll discuss about it. The fourth shloka means, here in this army, there are many heroic bowmen equal in fighting to Bhima and Arjuna. There are also great fighters like Yuyudhana, Viratha and Drupada. The meaning of the fifth Shloka, which is actually a continuation of the fourth one, is Drishtaketu, Chekitana, and the valiant king of Kashi, Purujit and Kunti Bhoja, and Shaibya, the best men. So he names some of the prominent warriors on the other side. There are uh, two ways of looking at, there are a couple of explanations which the commentators give as to why Duryodhana explains or describes the number of people who are there on the other side. One way is, he is of course measuring the might of the opposing army. The other way of looking at it is, he is actually pretty nervous as to what he is seeing on the other side. Because the Mahabharata explains there are these many ways of uh, describing warriors. And one of the names which they use is Maheshwasa. Maheshwasa means a mighty bowman. He is not just any archer, but these are archers whose bows themselves are very, very famous. As we all know, Arjuna's bow has the name Gandhiva, right? So those archers and those warriors whose bows have a name, and they have a name because of the name of the archer. The archer becomes so very famous and is known for his abilities in the battlefield that their bows are known, right? That's one of the ways by which the archer or the warrior himself is known. So that is what is referred to as a Maheshwasa. They are the mighty bowmen. But actually speaking, among the many people that he's naming, Arjuna and Bhima actually are a class apart, even going by the description of the Mahabharata. But the very fact that Duryodhana is equating all of these warriors to the might of Arjuna and Bhima, they say, is a sense that he's actually nervous. He's not really in his senses because it's very clear that they're not as mighty as Arjuna and Bhima. But as he says that, you know, in this army, there are many heroic bowmen equal in ability to fight like Bhima and Arjuna. And then he goes on to name a few of them and it's interesting that the names that he chooses to pick. Yuyudhana is one of the names that he mentions. Yuyudhana is actually the other name for Satyaki. Now Satyaki was one of Krishna's very, very close friends, one of the warriors who along with Krishna built the Narayani Sena. And as we went through that story where Krishna promises the support of the Narayani Sena to the Kauravas, there were a few warriors who were technically part of the Narayani Sena, who were commanders of the Narayani Sena, who chose to fight on the Pandava side. And Yuyudhana is one of them. He is one of the people who refused to join the Kaurava army and he becomes one of the important commanders in the Pandava army. The other warrior who is also both of 
Satiki and this warrior Chekitana, they actually belong to the Vrishni clan. It's one of the Yadava clans. So he is also another commander of the Narayani Sena who chooses to fight on the Pandava side. So in a sense, Duryodhana is picking these two people because they should have technically been on his side. These are things which are troubling him. These are people who should have been on my side, but today they are fighting in the side of the opposition. And then he names the king Virata. Now Virata is the king under whom the Pandavas spend their year incognito. They are supposed to spend 12 years in the uh, forest. In the 13th year, they are supposed to spend incognito. And if they are found out in that 13th year, they have to spend another 12 years. And then the 13th year in incognito, the Agnyatavasa as it's called. So during the Agnyatavasa, they actually spend that time in the kingdom of Virata. And that is how, you know, uh, Bhima becomes the cook. Then Arjuna becomes the dance and music teacher to the prince and princess. And each one of them take take up roles in that manner. This again is a very, very beautiful, important thing that, you know, when this particular clause of 12 years plus this one year of incognito has been made in a manner to slight the Pandavas because it is known that when they have to live undercover in this manner, they will not be able to live like princes. They will not be able to live like warriors. They'll have to take up professions which are way below their dignity. So it is a clause which was placed so that these warriors can be slighted and that is how they are made to work in this manner. In fact, King Virata, is his kingdom is actually far smaller than the kingdom of Hastinapura. So he's very surprised that the great Yudhishthira has been working with him. The great Bhima has been a cook in his kitchen and all of that. But the very fact that the Pandavas go through this period very, very gracefully, now in this battlefield when they are facing the Kauravas, they have found a very, very strong ally in the kingdom of Virata. Right? I think this is actually a very, very beautiful message for all of us. Destiny might take us in paths that it may appear that it is lighting us, it may appear that it is stamping our dignity out of our life. But if we are able to hold our balance and hold ourselves together, even as we go through some of these tough times, we will realize that later in life, these very moments will come to our aid, just like how it's happening in the Pandavas. The Virata kingdom, which would have otherwise very, very happily would have sided by the side of uh, the Kauravas, because I think Kichaka is one of the great warriors of the Virata kingdom. He's, I think, the brother-in-law of the king of Virata. He is an ally of Jarasandha, who is again an ally of Duryodhana. So in that sense, the Virata kingdom would have actually sided by the Kauravas. But by going through this process, one of the many benefits they get is the Virata king is actually battling from their side. But apart from that, there are many, many blessings which they receive in the process of that one year of Agnyatavasa. So that's a lesson for all of us that it may appear that destiny is actually striking a very cruel blow on us. But if we are able to hold our balance and if we are able to go through that period with grace, it will only benefit us. God will never put us through anything especially when we are righteous and when we are on the path of nobility, God will not put us through anything that will not benefit us in a manner. And then he goes on to name other uh, warriors on the Pandava side. He names Drupada. Drupada, of course, is the father of Draupadi. There's no way he's not going to be on the side of the Kauravas. So Drupada is there. Then he, of course, names Drishtadumna in the beginning. He refers to Drishtaketu. Now, Drishtaketu is another character, great warrior, who, uh, when Duryodhana looks at him, believes that he should have been on my side. Because Drishtaketu is the son of Sishupala. And Sishupala was killed by Krishna at the time of the, the great yagna that Yudhishthira was doing. When he was doing the Rajasuya yagna, Sishupala, we all know that story, he heaps accuses on Lord Krishna because he was being given the first honor during the puja. And Krishna eventually kills Sishupala. So this Drishtaketu is actually the son of Sishupala and Duryodhana feels that, you know, he is an enemy of the enemy and he should have been on my side. But of course, Drishtaketu is not like his father. He's a noble warrior and that is why he is on the side of the Pandavas. Then he refers to another king, right? He refers to the king of Shibi, Shaibya. That is one of the names that he mentions. Again, Shaibya's son was a very, very close ally of Jayadrata and 
he was killed by bhima so here is another character whose son was killed by one of the pandavas but he is fighting from the side of pandavas and again this shows the nobility of some of these warriors they have faced personal losses but when it comes to taking a side they're not taking a side based on you know who is their friend or who has harmed them or who's favored them but they're taking side based on on whose side the dharma is so shaibya is one of those kings even though his son of course not a very noble person was killed by bhima one of the pandavas in the battlefield of kurukshetra he's taking sides of the pandavas right so these are all the various kings and of course there are two other kings that he makes a mention of purujit and kunti bhoja and these are actually relatives of queen kunti they are from the land of kunti's kingdom so these are all the kings that he names as i said one thing is he's pointing out to a few warriors who should have been on his side that is one thing that is troubling duryodhana and the other thing is he is a little nervous in the sense that he is praising all of these people as warriors as powerful as bhima and arjuna which they are not so this was the fourth and the fifth shloka of the bhagavad gita i think we'll have time for one or two more so let's go to the sixth shloka of the bhagavad gita युधामुश्च विक्रांतमौजाश्च वीर्यवान् सौभद्रो द्रौपदेया सर्व सो द मीनिंग ऑफ द सिक्स वर्स इज देर आर दि मैटी युधामु the very powerful uttamauja the son of subhadra and the sons of draupadi and all these warriors are great chariot fighters so thus he concludes the survey of the pandava army duryodhana names a few more now yudhamanyu and uttamauja they were two panchala princes and they were again great warriors in the battle they are given the role of being the bodyguards of arjuna's chariot that is how the battle formations are made and if you read the bhishma parva before the war starts or before this conversation of the bhagavad gita starts there's an explanation of how arjuna's uh, chariot is surrounded who are the bodyguards there is somebody who was given the guard on the right side somebody who was given the guard on the left side somebody in the front and somebody behind and similarly even bhishma is given a protection like this because as the story goes Bhishma is vulnerable in that sense that he says if prince Shikandi comes in front of him he will not fight the battle so they know that that is a vulnerability so Duryodhana ensures that he is protected so these are battle formations so in that sense these two warriors Yudhamanyu and Uttamauja from the Panchala kingdom they are the bodyguards of Arjuna one on the left side and one on the other side and in this shloka and i think even in the previous shloka Duryodhana uses the word maharathas now maharathas or maharathis they are a name or a title given to some of the warriors based on their ability to fight there are many many descriptions about maharathas there are two or three other names maharathis atirathis and rathis and ardarathis or something like that one of the descriptions is a maharathi is one who can fight many atirathis at the same time one of the simpler descriptions of who uh, maharathi is is somebody who is a fighter who can fight on a chariot but at the same time he can take care of himself he can take care of his charioteer he can take care of the horses of his chariot and still continue to fight that is one of the simple descriptions of a maharathi of course there are various other descriptions in different texts including in the mahabharata where it is said that a maharathi is one who can fight with 10000 archers single handedly right so there are a few warriors in the pandava and the kaurava camp who are actually maharathis there are few others who are atirathis and rathis but again a sign of duryodhana's nervousness because he looks at all of these people and he says there are so many maharathis he refers to all of them as maharathis right and uh, this is again as i said is a clear sign of duryodhana's nervousness when he says that these are all warriors equal in ability to fight like arjuna and bhima and duryodhana and bhishma and the others it is not true not all of them are maharathis 
but he refers to all of them he gives a description of all of these people the next few shlokas of course is where duryodhana speaks about his own army he refers to the warriors who are fighting from his side now this is actually not really the crux of the bhagavad gita the bhagavad gita actually begins with the conversation between arjuna and krishna in fact the first chapter of the bhagavad gita is itself called the arjuna vishada yoga or arjuna's despondency right and there is a very beautiful explanation that swami gives why despondency is referred to as a yoga but we will come to that in the next episode because that is where probably we'll begin the actual dialogue of the bhagavad gita but in a sense this is important because it gives the context of the war where it happens i think there is a good reason why vedavyasa has decided to include these verses as part of the bhagavad gita even though the bhagavad gita starts when we actually say bhagwan uvacha right the song of the master begins when the master begins to speak but all of this is important because a very beautiful contrast between duryodhana and arjuna can also be discerned by this because arjuna is also going to survey the entire army of course he's not going to name all of them one by one like duryodhana has done but here is duryodhana who is also surveying the army what is happening in his mind arjuna is also going to survey the army and what is going to happen in his mind and when we look at this we will know that this is what happens to all of us in various times in our life when we look at situations sometimes we think like duryodhana sometimes we think like arjuna the first challenge is probably to start thinking more and more like arjuna but as swami has said many many times it is not to stop with thinking like arjuna but it is to start thinking like krishna and that is why krishna starts giving his advice to arjuna in fact that is another very beautiful point of this entire idea of the chariot of krishna being the charioteer and arjuna being the person who is driving or riding in the chariot what does the chariot represent just like how swami explained what is the true dharmakshetra and what is the true kurukshetra and what is the true hastinapura swami also explains what is the real chariot but that of course will be next week when we continue with this we have finished six shlokas we will start with the seventh shloka and the seventh shloka is where duryodhana starts explaining to dronacharya the people who have gathered in his side to fight for him but that is again next week till then dear listeners i offer this program at swami's lotus feet i'll meet you all next week for the next episode of the geeta series a try on pilgrimage